Welcome to the Hey Chaplain podcast. My name is Jared Altick, and I'm a chaplain with the police department. Hey Chaplain is an officer wellness podcast produced for cops and covers topics like your career, your wellness, and law enforcement culture. On Hey Chaplain, you'll hear from dispatchers and federal agents, sheriffs and U.S. Marshals, as well as the occasional small town police chief. From the LAPD to Scotland Yard, the guests on Hey Chaplain share their own wisdom so that police officers everywhere can survive and thrive. So I keep this list of podcast topic ideas that keeps getting longer and longer. I feel like there's no end to the fascinating topics that we could cover on this show. But today's topic would make one of the first episodes that was truly listener-generated. A few months ago, a listener wrote in and asked for advice for new police supervisors. He said, I'd like to listen to someone who's been in a command role for years, and I'd like to hear what their experiences are and any advice they might have for the future generation of supervisors. Well, about 40 minutes after I received that request, I was playing basketball with Major Ryan Miller from the Overland Park, Kansas Police Department. Ryan is a great leader who spent years in SWAT as an officer and a sergeant, and later as a captain and a major, supervised other leaders. He's a good friend, and he's often my go-to guy for police leadership questions. So I asked him that very night, and he jumped at the chance to help out. Now I'm going to split this conversation into two parts, and in this first part, We'll cover different styles of leadership at the patrol sergeant level, as well as leadership mistakes that sergeants sometimes make, like being too rigid or not displaying enough confidence. And don't miss what Ryan says about building a network of peers to reach out to when you have questions. Here's Ryan Miller. Hello, Ryan. How are you doing today? Great. Doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're back. Always good to hear from you. I'm interested in people who are good supervisors, who have a positive impact, really, really make the job worthwhile and really help an officer be a good professional and be well and all the other things that we're concerned about. When you were a young patrol officer, what kind of sergeants and captains really made an impact on you? Yeah, I had, uh, I remember my first day out of the FTO program. And the sergeant I was assigned to, originally I was a little scared of him, um, but I had two, uh, they shared the same shift, uh, two squads on that same shift. And my longest lasting memory was that they presented well. They looked like leaders. Hmm. They were, their uniforms were clean. Their uniforms were in the right shape. They looked like they walked off the page of the policy. Um, they were fit and they were articulate and well-spoken. Now, one of them was per policy guy and was pretty strict and mm-hmm. pretty straightforward, but wasn't overbearing. Um, the other one was almost the same type of person in the way you look at them. However, very laid back okay, and nothing was ever that big of a deal. So I was fortunate to have those first imprinting of supervisors. This is where you can be strict and per policy, but yet have some room to work. And then this was, hey, don't get too worked up over all this stuff. Don't be worried about breaking policy. A little more laid little back. A little more empathetic. A little more empathetic. Yeah. yeah. And you'll, you're going to be fine. And so between the two, I was able to form those boundaries that to this day, I tell my people, 
you've got a right and a left of the boundaries that you can move between those two yeah. and you'll be fine. And when I was a young, impressionable officer, I had this sergeant on the left and this sergeant on the right, and we can move between the two and be successful. The one that was more laid back, he was good because he's pretty smart about policy, and he'd tell you when you were getting too close to the edge, Okay, and he'd nudge you back in. The other one would leave you alone until you stepped across the line, and then he'd kick you back in <laughs> to play. Drop the hammer? <laughs> yes. And so you did get a little bit of, um, as with every supervisor, right. you get a little bit of what not to do with mostly what to do and how you want to be. Yeah, we had I had those two that really formed my initial years, my first couple of years. Now, I'm sure you had lots of other supervisors. You had acting sergeants, and, and different sergeants would rotate through, and you moved to different units mm-hmm. and different shifts. Were there any versions of those two extremes that went wrong for you? Um, I had supervisors early on that instances of call them and ask them things, and then be like, yeah, that's the last time I'm calling you. <laughs> um, Not every supervisor is created equally. Yeah, yeah. yeah so some those, are those more exist, capable than others, right? Yeah. And those are generally your younger sergeants. Okay. And they want you to do it the way they want you to do it, or how they did it. Uh huh. When even though the officer's way is still a correct way. Yeah. Because how many ways can you handle a call? Well, how many officers are there? Yeah. But yeah. they're all right. Yeah. Well, sometimes you get a sergeant that thinks that they're solely responsible for those people or that call, and they want you to do it just their way. And their way is the only way. Their way is the only way, which is not true. So a young supervisor needs to know that as long as it's within the policy and within the law, and it's ethical, moral, and legal, let them have it. Let them do it. And let them do it their way. And then you just... Yep. Okay. Sounds yeah. good. And we're moving on. Yeah. Until they violated policy or law, mm-hmm. they, there should be some leeway there. Correct. But Correct. that's hard to do if, if you're a brand new supervisor and you you are really still catching up, you know, getting your feet under you. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard to then also be flexible with other people. On an emotional level, you need them to, to not throw you any curveballs. Because you're just barely keeping up with your new responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Once you catch up and you're comfortable, then you can be a little more flexible. But that flexibility in the early stages can be, you know, a tall order. Right. And so exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so you have to you have to trust your people, even if you have you're a rookie sergeant with a rookie officer. And I have mm-hmm. some of those. Mm-hmm. You have to tell the sergeant, let them learn like we let you learn. Yeah. And that's advice to a commander too, right? Is let that sergeant learn and give them the boundaries. Yeah. Don't narrow the boundaries too much. Let them learn how to lead. And when they overstep their boundaries, draw them back. Mm-hmm. Sergeant needs to do the same thing. Let the officer go until they start to overstep and then you draw them back in. Yeah. Now, I've noticed something in the department that I serve that. Uh, sergeants seem to discourage the officers calling the sergeant. They want the officers to call each other first mm-hmm. before they call the sergeant. Why Why would that be? Well, because you learn from your peers as much or more than you learn from your boss, right? From the supervisor. From the supervisor. Yeah. Um, and yes, there's technicalities such as that's a lot of phone calls for a supervisor to take if you everybody did that. Right. Um, but your friends are going to be able, or your peers, or your teammates... Uh, your squad mates are going to be able to give you ideas on how they can handle it. 
So we want sergeants to do the same. We want the sergeants to call other sergeants. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely call the other sergeants, especially if you got a senior sergeant that you can rely on, mm-hmm. that's been there, done that. Pick their brain and, right. and glean their wisdom before you bother the lieutenants or captains or whatever you have. Right. Yeah. Right. And okay. we've recently had a junior sergeant signed to a squad with senior sergeants. Okay. He did great. And he relied on them. He mm-hmm. humbled himself to call and ask. Yeah. Willing and, to learn. Yeah. Willing to learn and realized who he was talking to, took it all in, and he's done a great job. And he's doing a great job. I mean, he's a rookie sergeant. Hmm. Those influences are important. So whether it's officer to officer, sergeant to sergeant, captain to captain, that's all free advice. Right. Now, the further you go up, you get a little less judgment, right? I try to tell my people, you're going to get free advice here. I'm not judging you. Because I have had leaders for me that I felt like asking questions was, I only got so many before they started taking <laughs> right. taking away points. Right, <laughs> right. right. And, and I would hear a certain leader that would say, I'm disappointed that you even asked me that. That's a bad idea, and I'm disappointed you even asked me that. Hmm. Okay, well, I'm not coming back to you again. Right. right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? But if you give free advice and you don't judge people for having asked, then they're going to ask you questions, and they're yeah. going to ask the right things. And yeah. so a young supervisor needs to be willing to give out free advice to their officers and they're all going to learn together at that point. Yeah. Right. And some people are natural teachers and other people can learn. And I think a sergeant should learn to be a teacher and have a teacher's mentality. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I'm willing to explain this. I'm willing to take a few moments of my time to to walk you through something so that you can acquire this information yourself. Um, but you will run into people who maybe by nature or by just maybe the season that they're in. They're, they don't have the patience to mm-hmm. teach you right now. Mm-hmm. And and you're right. You kind of have to know, okay, I'm not going to come back to ask that person a second time because <laughs> mm-hmm. they're just not in the mood to to sit down and teach me right, right. now. Right. So a related question, if you're in a really small department, maybe you're the you're a rookie sergeant, but you're the only sergeant working right now. Mm-hmm. You know, the other sergeants are all off duty. Uh, who do you call? Do you call somebody off duty? It's a great question. And, and you try to build those networks, whether it's through your training uh, whether it's through your experiences coming up, whether the academy you went to and you make those uh, connections early mm-hmm. on and it, it's relationships. And so if you're in a small organization, especially like, say, Western Kansas, where your peer might be 30 miles away and you're not meeting up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in Kansas City, we have the benefit of they're just across the street. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, multiple sergeants working the same shift. Right. It might be at the next desk. Right. Yeah. Maybe yeah. the next desk or you've got some friends that live in the next town over. Yeah. Things like that. It's about relationships. So I would give the advice to young sergeants that are in those small, secluded or rural agencies to seek out training that also allows for networking hmm. to be able to build up that uh, that database of people yeah. that you can reach out to. Uh, but yes, if you are truly alone, make the call <laughs> to the people that know the answer. Right. And you're just going to have to ask. And you know, you might have to wake them up in the middle of the night because yeah. you can get a police department sued. You can get somebody yeah, It's worth hurt. getting it right. Yes, yes. It's worth getting it right. And if it can wait till 0800 when somebody comes in, <laughs> then let it wait. But if you got to ask somebody call somebody because somebody's always working somewhere in the state somebody can answer your question (laughs) if you're you're calling to the next county right yes yes absolutely right okay so 
so give me examples of of the mistakes that new supervisors make. Um, you know, the kind of mistakes that lead to low morale and frustration mm-hmm. and retention problems and everything else. What are what are some of the no go zone that that some supervisors find themselves in trouble? Uh, right off the bat, I would say confidence or a lack of confidence. Okay. Uh, the officers will not respond well if you, and you are presented a problem or a question. They have to go. Ah, let me check with the captain. Yeah, and they yeah. walk off into the darkness or walk around the corner and make a phone call. And come back and go, okay, well, command wants this, or the captain wants that, or whatever the, uh, the, the response that he was boxed up and packaged and given to then give to the officers. Yeah. Because then the officers think, well, I could have done that. Right. Well, why are you even here? You're just the middleman. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So they have to have confidence that you know what you're talking about. Now, again, like I said in the last section here, if you don't know the answer, you got to make the call. Ideally, you do have some answers. Right. right. Yes, you should have <laughs> so, some answers. So preparing in advance and knowing, okay, here's here's a scenario I don't deal with very often. It only comes up once or twice a year. But I'm going to go find out the answers right now mm-hmm. so that when it does finally happen, I, I can have some confidence. I can, I can lead with confidence. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to go running to my supervisors just to pass the information down. And so... Right. Yeah. So confidence is... Probably number one okay. is make a call. I heard a great quote, stop, look around, make a call. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes a captain will tell a sergeant, haven't you been in this as an officer before? Most of the time the answer yeah. is yes. Yeah. And so, okay, so what'd you do? Well, I did this. Okay. Was it legal, moral, and ethical? Yeah. <laughs> well, I guarantee dot, every dot, dot. officer, yeah. when they're not in charge, has an opinion about what should happen. Right. Yeah, if it's legal, moral, and ethical, yeah. then then there's no reason the sergeant can't put that into action. Yeah. yeah. Now, going the other way, you're a team. Okay, so if the sergeant's there, generally there will be two officers there. Mm-hmm. Even if there's just one, depending on your organization and your location, there's going to at least be two of you there. So you're a team. There's nothing wrong with talking it out right there. That's not a lack of confidence. Okay, hey, what do you think about this, Jared? And well, here's what I'm thinking. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, We have to worry about this, this, and this. And and you talk it back and forth, and you talk it out together. Yeah, that's not the same as going, hey, hold on, I'm going to go call the captain and ask. Because if you talk it out as a team, then you come to an agreement. Yeah, and you have just both learned from each other. Yeah. And having collected all that information, now you can be decisive and make a decision. Right. And you make the call. Yeah. And they had some input in it. They agree to how they're going to do it. Now, the officer is generally the one that has to execute, but they now have a plan that you both have come to and you worked it out with each other. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about favoritism. You got a new supervisor and they used to be one of the guys. Mm-hmm. What can go wrong there? You spelled that out for us. That's a great question. That's oftentimes one of the number one questions that young supervisors, or generally what I find is people that are applying mm. to be a supervisor want to go through the process. They wonder what that's going to be like. Yeah. And uh, to quote the great philosopher Michael Jordan, <laughs> uh, leadership has a price. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he says winning has a price. So translate that to success has a price. Yeah. And that's one of the things you have to pay. 
is yeah. you have to start to separate the two. Now, in my experience, I when I was promoted from officer to sergeant, I was on the SWAT team and promoted to the SWAT team. Mm. I never left the team. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and oftentimes when you get promoted, you move from, I was on this squad, you get promoted and you might go clear across town. Yeah. You might change shifts. You might change buildings. Now, if you go to rural Kansas, you might be super into, supervising the person you just right. uh, worked with. And in your situation, you were. I you was. were supervising the people yes. you were teammates with. Right. Yeah. I, was, I was in the stack with them yesterday, and now I'm their boss today. Yeah. That could happen to someone. Even if you get moved for a year, there's a good chance you're going to find your way back around because those people tend to gravitate back to each other. Or if you're doing well as a supervisor, the people that worked for you before may come back to you. So you have to be conscious of that. If you even think that you might be a leader of some kind in the future, you'd like to be a supervisor someday or a team leader or a commander of some kind, you got to start working on that back here in your career, back in your earlier stages. Mm-hmm. You know, Yeah, we all got to go through our infancy stages and we're just kind of right. figuring this whole job and life and figuring all that out. But you need to start planting those seeds and start being careful of those things that someday you don't want to have to answer to, or you don't want to have to in the future have to go. Yeah, I did that when I was younger or we did that together. So you want to start early on. Then when it happens, when it's time to become the leader, you have to establish it by setting boundaries, Mm -hmm. leading by example. You're now the leader. You're now the one up front. You're the one out front. You have to give orders and when those times come that everybody's afraid of, and they're going, man, I just heard that from you the other day when you weren't a sergeant. Now you're telling me this. <laughs> right. You go, yeah. You have to tell them, yeah, things have changed. Yeah. And this is what we got to do. We're going I've got to, new responsibilities I've now. got new responsibilities. We're going to do it together. That was always successful for me. We're going to do this together. It might be a good job. might be a bad job. Either one. We're going to do this together. I'll be there with you. I was there with you before. I'll be with you now. I'm just responsible for our success now. Yeah. And so let's do it and we'll do it together. Yeah. I also worry about attachment. Some people, just by personality, they really resist authority figures. And so they're very uh, detached from their sergeant. Others cling to their leaders. You know, it's almost like, oh, this person really cares about me and, and, and they even love me. There can be some weird kind of transference and countertransference between a person and their leader, or the opposite. It can be really, you know, distance and alienated. How does a new supervisor navigate the social landscape so that they are professional but still, you know, approachable? How do you balance that? Mm-hmm. Well, first, it, and ironic that we do have those people you described that are defiant to authority yet they're in an authority position and they're well aware of the fact that it's a chain of command environment yeah it's a paramilitary organization that you know you have multiple layers of leaders yet you come in and defy yeah it's quite the conundrum to me or a dichotomy but when you're navigating those things when you're navigating the social parts of it that you have someone that is too close Mm -hmm. then you have to give them opportunities to be alone. Or you may go to a senior officer and say, hey, can you go to this call with them? Can you do this with them? Um, And you start to create some of that space. If you have someone that is defiant to you and won't work with you, they too need their space. 
and you have to work a little harder to gain their respect. And to do that, that's by example. It's also by respecting their abilities. Hey, you're good at this or you're good at that. Could I use you for this? Yeah, I'll do that for you. So being being savvy about when to push or pull different officers, which is tough when you're supervising a group. Right. You know, but but to know for each one, do I need to push this one back a little bit, let them have some space, or I need to pull this one in, mm-hmm. that that's boy, that can be challenging. Yeah, let me give you a great story, a great example. So on the SWAT team, uh, we had a very unique situation. We have to set the stage here, we have SWAT guys that are just all they did, counterterrorism, WMD, SWAT team. Mm-hmm. And that's all they did was train SWAT, SWAT, SWAT. But we also have EOD officers mm-hmm. and or EOD techs. They were trained in SWAT as well, but their attention was a little bit more divided. They would step into the SWAT world when we needed them, but they're mainly bomb disposal right. techs. Right. Bomb disposal people, and, I, and see if you get any backlash on this, but they're, <laughs> they operate a little bit because so, they have to. Mm-hmm. They are more calculated. They're literally yeah. doing math, yeah. and they have to think about these. And we want them to do that, and they're right. great at it. And but they they don't operate and think at the same uh, in the same world as SWAT guys. SWAT guys, I'll tell on them too. They're go go go. And yeah, I was aggression one of pays off. Aggression pays off. Yeah. See bad guy, catch bad guy. Let's go. Kick the door in. Chase them. Pursue them. Whatever we got to do. Diffusing a bomb. Aggression does not pay off. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. And we want those two things to operate in those worlds. But when you put them together, and now you have to lead them both. Mm-hmm. You have to figure that out. That was the situation I was in. Yeah. So I would often say I had a set of horses that I was pulling the reins back. And then I also in the middle had a set of horses that I was pulling the reins on yeah. and trying to get them to do their their job. Yeah. Again, it's going back to respect. It's also going back to exemplifying and showing them what their skills are and using them in the right capacity. Let the SWAT guys chase the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Let them do fugitive apprehension. Let them do high-risk crime areas. Mm-hmm. The ones that don't operate that way, give them more strategic type of things to do, things that take a little bit longer, that a little bit more of a thinker type of thing, and let them work in their environment but still have expectations of both. So I, don't don't force all of your people into the exact same mold. You cannot. You will fail if yeah. you try to make robots out of everybody, yeah. especially when you're getting into the specialty unit level or into uh, command levels and that kind of thing, because they've already established themselves as those, those types, yeah. and they have found success. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to tell them to be any different? Because I got here this way, yeah. and now you're trying to tell me to do something yeah. different? Well, that's exactly what supervisors themselves fall into is, is mm-hmm. well, this is how I've navigated through 10 years of being a cop. You're going to tell me that's wrong? I'm not telling you it's wrong. It's just your officers may have a different path mm-hmm. to get there. And to be a successful career you know, police officer, it may not be exactly your path. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to force them to conform to your path, that, that could be an error in judgment. Right. right. Brene Brown talks about leaders being vulnerable. And it doesn't mean that you're sharing your life story, mm-hmm. that you're confessing things to your subordinates or to your leaders, whichever direction you're going. She talks about being vulnerable as in you're willing to put yourself in a position to where you, you lead and you lean into it. And you, it doesn't mean you double down on someone's poor behavior but it means you have those difficult conversations and you're vulnerable in the way of 
You may not necessarily know where this is going, but you're confident in your ethics, you're confident in your abilities and skills, and that you hold your ground, whether you're standing up for people, a people group, your superiors, your subordinates, whoever it might be, and you're willing to put yourself out there as opposed to putting your armor on or retreating and being disengaged, being disengaged, don't want to have the tough conversations and whether that's an evaluation that is a poor evaluation, don't run from it, give the honest truth or it's you disagree with your superiors and you be respectful, but you give your opinion and it's important that the superior allows you that space Mm -hmm. to give your opinion without crushing you. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that's the vulnerability that she talks about. And I've really kind of taken that to heart that it doesn't mean I'm going to cry on somebody's shoulder and tell them everything I'm going to tell them. That's not at all what she's saying. She's yeah. saying vulnerable in the way of you put yourself out there to stand up for those that need to be stood up for or an opinion that needs to be said. Being connected to your officers, advocating for their concerns, being connected to what they're going through is a type of vulnerability. If you don't want to be vulnerable, you need to disconnect. And that doesn't make for a very good leader. Right. I can't wait for you to hear the rest of the interview where Ryan goes in depth on several points of small unit leadership including how to lead officers who are both older and far more experienced than you are. And we also discuss one of the most difficult experiences in leadership when one of your officers is about to lose his job and you just can't help him anymore. So make sure you don't miss the second half of my interview with Ryan Miller called So Now You're a Sergeant, Part 2. I also want to thank Sergeant Gomez, who works in a police department in the Wichita, Kansas area. He's the officer who wrote in and inspired this topic. Thank you, Sergeant, for the excellent suggestion, and thanks for listening to the show and getting others to listen to the show. There's a picture of my podcast magnet on Sergeant Gomez's locker on the Hey Chaplain Instagram and Facebook pages. On the next episode of Hey Chaplain, we continue our conversation with Ryan Miller, where I ask him this question. What do you do when you're so invested in an officer and you're trying to help them and there's just not anything else you can do to save their career? They're, they're spiraling. They're, they're, they're not going to be a cop anymore. And you are desperately trying to intervene and prevent that from happening, but how do you how do you disengage from somebody that you've gone to the mat you've got all intertwined and all of their drama and their business how how do you extricate yourself from that that's very tough personnel issues are very awkward because you that's not one you've ever dealt with yeah. you've handled domestics you've handled crashes you've handled homicides but you haven't handled a personnel issue before yeah. The views expressed here are the personal views of the host and our guest and do not necessarily represent the views of any law enforcement agency or its components. If you like this episode, please share it with a cop or someone who loves a cop. Thank you for listening to Hey Chaplain, and as always, pray for peace in our city.